Good evening from the Keystone State. Welcome to Chasing Prophecy on the UFO Paranormal Radio, 107.1 FM, New Orleans, where we discuss anything and everything beyond the scope of normal. I'm Jenny Nicasio, along with my co-host, Sean Kelly, and guest co-host, Jason Lombarda. I screwed your name up, Jason. Remember to like us on Facebook and Instagram. Great to be with you guys this evening. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. What a week, huh, guys? Yes, what yes, a week. absolutely. What Thanks for week. having us. Hey, no problem. And what, not only did we have a really cool, cool investigation, um, the POTUS got COVID and it recovered and back to the White House and the crazy yes. debate last night. I think it was an inside job with the tainted swabs, guys. What are your thoughts, Sean? I totally I agree with you. Um, this More is all likely. tainted. It's all ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm just. I wish they would quit playing games and just get it over with. Yeah, honest to Pete. I, I mean, this is just getting totally ridiculous, and it's just getting to the point where I just don't care anymore. Yeah. And, Exactly. Uh, what about you, Jason? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, just finding out recently that uh, a relative went to the hospital for something and wasn't tested for it. And then uh, the next day they postponed their actual testing because they were positive for it, but they were never tested. So it kind of makes you wonder, like, how much of it's real, how much of it's not, you know? 99% is fake. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think I think the White House was tainted with contaminated swabs. That's it possible. just kind of seems like it's a little strange, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. Uh, but we had a fabulous Friday and Saturday live investigation with Pittsburgh Paranormal Society at location at the Blair House. And the crew was on location there, and the property has a constant source of paranormal energy that goes in and out of the house. Um, the Blair House sits on the top of a coal mine, and there were so many uh, mine, uh, coal mine explosions, and many lives were lost there. Behind the, um, the house is a Native American burial ground, and they, they practice magic. Um, it was always active with um, spirits. Um, there's a child spirit dwelling in the Blair House, and her name is Emily Davis. She used to play at the Blair House when she was a child, and there are a few other ghosts living there. Um, I'm not sure their names, Edwin, but you guys will tell us in a second. But um, some were not very nice, and especially in the basement. Though. Um, so, yes. um, Sean and Jason, um, what were your investigation findings? Oh, well, Jason, I'll turn it over to you, then I'll take over. Well, the, uh, you know, like when we were live Friday, the house had like its own good feel to it. Like Friday was like real positive. It was good. You know, the spirits were kind of active. You know, we caught a lot of orbs and everything. And then, uh, like we talked about on Saturday, the house just took a total flop for the negative side. It got really, really dark. It got intense and just, you could feel the negative energy and uh i've been going through you know days of footage and surveillance cameras so it's taken taken a minute but there's i posted a couple small clips on instagram on the uh, pittsburgh paranormal society of some interesting orbs we got and uh some other anomalies and as we continue to go through you know like pictures and everything we're gonna really dive in and see what we caught you know over the next you know week or so to finally get it all done and is there anything that sticks out in your mind that um, you want to share with us? Yes. Go ahead. Uh, the cellar, the basement on Saturday night. Definitely. It was pure evil down there. Pure evil. It was. They were, it wasn't demonic. It was just three or four of those uh, coal miners who were mean, very, very mean. And they started to attack my crew. And I did not quite like that. And... Uh, Saturday, that was the first time that I ever really, really got into um, hunting mode, you know, because I really, really wanted to take care of them. Uh, they really mess with my people, and I take uh, that, that just pisses me off. And so, eventually, what happened later on in the evening, um, they kind of went away. 
because the activity just quit going down there. And um, it, it just got real, like, I don't want to say positive, but it had a better feeling than it did during the daytime and, and, and earlier in the evening. And my team knows not to provoke spirits. They do not provoke. And no one provoked them. These guys are like God for blood. Mm. So, how did how did they how did they provoke them, Sean? Real quick. Well, when people provoked the um, the spirits, right? Mm-hmm. They they just started coming right up on. Uh, was it Roy? Uh, they started pressing against his back. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what started. And that's what started it. And Roy don't provoke. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he has. I don't know. Did you get the pictures from him where the orb is actually? Yeah, that was pretty crazy, wasn't it? Yes, it was. That's pretty so. bizarre. It was really. Um, I seen that because he complained that his um, neck hurted and his back. Yes. yes. That was really weird. Really strange. But but it was uh, a great investigation, all in all. Absolutely. I mean, and do you think you'll, the, you'll go back? Oh hell yeah! Oh you yeah, heartbeat. definitely. You're coming with us. I don't know about that. I think they 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 like to attach to me, and then I get sick. And so that's why I have to be careful. Big boys down there in the in the group that they won't mess with. (laughs) They won't mess with you. Okay, well we'll we'll think about that. (laughs) But but, um, tonight's guest knows a little about ghost investigations as, as well. And his name is David LaVille, founder of the New Orleans Ghost Hunters. He started in 2010 to validate personal experiences. David has been a guest speaker at local libraries and conventions, featured on numerous shows, documentaries, as well as local news, newspapers about paranormal, haunted New Orleans, Louisiana folklore. He's hosted his own radio show on AM in New Orleans and was just featured on the new travel channel paranormal show Buried Worlds with Don Wildman. Favorite investigations was Fort Morgan on Mobile Bay, Alabama, McRaven House in Vicksburg, Mississippi. David, welcome to Chasing Prophecy. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Welcome. It's a pleasure. David, um, tell us about um, why you got into the investigating paranormal activity. Well, I guess like most groups to find answers, uh, growing up I had personal experiences and I was always skeptical wasn't sure if what I saw was real or not. And I didn't even know what a ghost hunter was until about 2009 when I was flipping through the channels on a TV. And I see a show coming on Ghost Hunters. So that sounds like an interesting program. So uh, I watched it. And that's when I learned you could capture evidence of the paranormal. And it got me thinking about forming a group just to validate or invalidate experiences that I had. So that's basically, basically how we got started. Awesome. Sean, do you have any questions for um, David? Yeah, I do. I have a uh, a couple. Um, what? Um, how how did you go by getting your crew? And did you go on the internet to pick them up, or did you? How did you end up getting your crew? And now uh, you're in your well, crew. Well, uh, what happened was right after I had I had saw an episode of Ghost Hunters, and so that you could actually capture evidence of the paranormal. A friend and I was having dinner at a local restaurant and we start talking about the ghost and the paranormal and uh, I said hey let's let's form a ghost hunting group and you know see if we can validate experiences we had and I said I don't know we call ourselves the New Orleans ghost hunters so that's how we kind of came up with our name mm-hmm. so I went home and I started working on a website and he ordered some equipment I ordered some equipment so it was just um, me and him was just uh, Keith Casella and my brother who had experiences and his wife joined a team so it originally started off as just a four-man team Okay. And uh, and then it was about three years later, we were um, doing a ghost hunt at um, the Bourbon Orleans. They asked us to come in on a Friday and Saturday night to investigate it and uh, allow the public to participate. And there was two other guys there who were very good ghost hunters, and they asked if they could join the team, and we were kind of interested in having them on the team. So they joined, and it became a six-man team. So it's it's basically been like that since about 2014 or 2015. Okay. So um, now Jason, he's he's our tech guy. He's got it all. So I'm going to turn it over to Jason, and he's going to ask you what kind of equipment you got. Yeah, so basically, you know, uh, like 
you guys run like K2s or spirit boxes, video? We, we, uh, we, we use K2s, uh, digital recorders, uh, video recorders. We don't believe in a lot of high-tech equipment. We don't believe in a ghost box. All a ghost box is is a broken radio. Um, uh, if you know how radio works, then you know that a ghost box does not work. In order for a ghost to talk to you through a ghost box, it would have to uh, modulate its voice and then mix it with the frequency that the radio was picking up, and then the radio would have to demodulate it. So it's just a, it's just a process that I, I don't see how a ghost could talk to you through a ghost box. It's like when you die, you somehow automatically become a radio engineer. Uh, you know, every ghost box session that I hear is nothing but beeps and, and, and stuff. So it, it's kind of pareidolia, and you kind of, you know, trying to imagine what you're hearing. We, personally, we just don't believe in a ghost box. There's just a lot of equipment we don't, we don't believe in because it produces too many false positives. Now, see think, for, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jason. I was going to say, well, what do you think about like the SLS uh, Connect system that's out there? Uh, that was made. That that is a. Um, the, uh, I believe that was made by uh, Microsoft. It was a game controller, and uh, what it does, it, it it records data points of movement, and then it goes into a database that's built into the software, and then it can it, it uses uh, pre-programmed figures and data points, and it it constructs a figure. So it act it actually doesn't pick up a figure. It just picks up data points, and then using a database, it connects the dots to make a figure. In fact, when they were testing the Connect, they picked up a camera bag, a vacuum cleaner, and I believe it was a trash can as a stick figure. So that, to me, it completely you know, invalidated the Connect device. Okay. okay. Now, um, we uh, just some, another tech guy in the group just invested, invested in one, so... We're going to check it out um, on our investigation on the 30th. And um, I'm kind of like interested, but real quick about the ghost box. I was like, I'm old school. Give me a uh, give me a digital voice recorder and give me a K2 and I'm happy. Yeah, that's that's basically us. You know, digital mm -hmm. recorder, the video recorder, because we can actually record tangible evidence with that. The K2 right. is the K2 is it just gives you an indication. It could be a cell phone signal, could be a microwave oven, you know, it could be a CB radio signal, could be anything setting it off. So it just right. gives you an indication. It's not really proof of anything is there. Um, it's you know a lot of the ghost type equipment is like that. That's why we like you know stuff that we can right. capture tangible uh, uh, evidence with. Now something we had a problem with, uh, we were using a DVR system. Uh, to uh, re record areas that we were not in, just in case something would happen. And it failed on us twice. Mm -hmm. So because of that, we got rid of it. We no longer use a DVR system. We got uh, high-definition cameras with mm -hmm. a, a high-capacity cores that record for about four to six hours. And it's they're much more reliable. Uh, it, the clarity is much better. So that we've, we've gone to that. Okay. Now back to the ghost uh, box. I was a non-believer of that for a very, very long time. And I always told my people, I said, if you can, if I hear something on that ghost box, the ghost answering your uh, questions, I want other type of proof for it works. And uh, I was on the fence work for a long time. And then we did an investigation at this old hotel. And uh, as God is my witness, we heard a reoccurring thing on the ghost box. It was two guys fighting over a woman, and the one guy kills another guy. And I have like six, seven people to verify that. And it went on for about a half hour. It just kept repeating itself. And um, so I'm off the fence now. I, I think the ghost box is pretty cool. Um, but again... Being the old timer I am, give me some tangible evidence with the uh, you know with it, you know, and uh, then I guess I'll be happy. But my crew, they're smart, they are very professional, they are good at what they do. So I just leave it in their hands, and uh, that's how we work at PPS. Hmm. How about you? Uh, speaking to, to me. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, we just use, um, you know, digital recorders, um, 
digital cameras, uh, digital video recorders, because like at least we have something we can show. And a lot, of, most of our evidence comes in through the uh, digital recorder itself, right. you know, in the form of EVPs. Mm -hmm. um, in doing this for ten years, I can count on one hand how many times we've actually caught something on a camera or a video camera. It just, like I said, it just seems most of the evidence is on the um, the digital recorder in the form of EVPs. Mm -hmm. Jason, okay. what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, I used to uh, just use a K2 and a uh, handheld recorder for many years um, until, like, recently I started upgrading and getting more equipment. And, you know, I've like Sean, I was always skeptical of the ghost box myself until we've had a couple situations where it asked for somebody in particular in our group. Oh. Um, there was a relative of somebody in the group that came yeah, through. And that there just validated for me, you know, because I feel like the spirits have find it easier to come through all that white noise and use the energy of the piece of equipment. But it's, you know, up to everybody's own perception, you know, if they believe it or not, you know, that's up to the individual. Mm -hmm. yeah. David, um, yeah. what was your what was one of your um, investigation that really stuck out that you were did, you were totally convinced that it was something paranormal oh jeez um it would probably be a house that we investigated outside of new orleans um the family called us in we were having all kind of paranormal experiences and whenever we walk into any investigation we're always skeptical you mm -hmm. know um it you know i I used to believe that maybe, you know, 60 to 70% of what people were experiencing I thought was real. Now I believe it's somewhere around 10%. I believe a lot of it is caused, is caused by environmental factors, psychological factors, wishful thinking. Now I'm not saying it doesn't exist. I'm, I'm saying just a small percentage actually does exist, really does exist. It's just the vast majority is, like I said, you know, these, these other factors. So we kind of go into investigations, open-minded, very skeptical. So we went to this one house, and uh, being honest with you, I was really skeptical until we um, started investigating the master bedroom. And it was the first time that I've been doing this that we actually had something thrown across the room. Hmm. And um, what was weird about it was um, we had a digital recorder going to the next room. And it actually captured that event three times. Mm -hmm. We have no explanation for it. You can actually hear something bouncing across the floor and my reaction to it. It, uh, it took nine seconds, and it recorded it three times uh, in sequence. We don't know why, out of a four-hour investigation, why it only recorded that one event three times. And we thought maybe, maybe it was just a malfunction with the uh, digital recorder. So we went back and looked at the waveforms using a, a, wave, a program called WavePad, and recorded the event three times, three different ways. Oh, wow. It was not a duplicate. It was not three duplicates. It was three different ways it was recorded. And we uh, we don't know if we if experienced a time warp or or what happened. We contacted the uh, company that makes the digital re recorder, and they had no explanation for it. They said the, the equipment's not designed to record in a loop, and they were stumped like we were, and they had, they had no explanation for it. So that was something that was truly weird going on in that house. Mm. Sean, what are your thoughts? Um, whenever you go to a house to investigate, um, I know my, what I do is I go down to the fuse box and see what kind of um, wiring they have through the house. Do you do that? Oh, no. Unfortunately, we don't because we investigate. The residence is usually there. We, we ask that the residents be there in the house with us to uh -huh. kind of supervise us. And, um, and they, they, they don't want us to turn off the electricity. They, they just want it to stay on. Uh, but as far as, uh, I mean, I don't know what electricity would have to do with something being thrown across the room and why it would cause a digital recorder to record that one event, you know, three times, three different ways. Oh, it's I understand. Listen, it's, it's I'm not mocking you on that. I'm not knocking you on that, but for me and my experience, and I've been doing this since 2006, um, I know that when we go to an old house and I go down there and I check and see how old the wiring is, 
because knob and tubing wiring coming out lets off a heavy, heavy, heavy EMF reading, and it can cause delusional. Um, can we actually, had that happen, Sean. Remember that North yeah. Sales house? Yes. And um, I was just wondering if, because yeah, like we definitely check out the uh, wiring. And then if we're investigating a room, we take the K2 meter and we go all around that room and see if we get a baseline on it. And if it's a good baseline, then we start doing our K2 sessions. Oh, I agree 100%. I believe you should cut the electricity to the house, you know, to remove the variables of, you know, EMF. But we're just in situations where the residents ask us not to because they have to reset clocks and all kind of stuff. So we try to work around, around that. You know, speaking of... So you had mentioned uh, we, we investigated a house several years ago and a resident was sitting in her bedroom. She kept getting headaches. She felt paranoid and different things. Yeah. So as soon as we walk into the bedroom, the K2 meter spiked in full red. We're like, man, mm -hmm. something's going on here. This is unusual. And uh, so we walk outside, look above her bedroom, and there's a high-tension power line right yes. across the top yes. of her house. And went, there's the explanation right there, you know. Mm -hmm. They call fear cage. It was, it was messing up the neurons and stuff in her brain. So mm -hmm. case solved right there. We told her either, you know, move out that bedroom or move your bed or something. Yeah. <laughs> Chase, what do you think? <laughs> I believe, like, you know, power lines definitely have a huge factor. Um, because, like, I mean, I was, me and Sean talked about, there was uh, an investigation we were on. And uh, the, the gentleman who lived there was convinced like to the max that there was a spirit tormenting his entire family well it comes to find out he was really the only one having the experiences and he hung out in his basement all the time so we go down there to check it out it had really low ceilings and just wires and fluorescent lights that were flickering everywhere and within several minutes sean me and and uh, the other investigator just started feeling nauseous and sick it's like that explains it right there, you know, how the electricity can really affect somebody because there was nothing there paranormal. It was just this guy was experiencing all that EMF from all the electrical wires and the old house bad wiring. So that one, you know, that's how we were able to present it. You know, it's, you know, stop going in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> like Sleepy Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, What's the difference between? I'm a little confused. Okay, so um, David, you don't like any of those uh, K2 or the EVP reading things, right? No, we, no, we use we use a K2 meter, but just as an indicator that something might be getting ready to happen. Okay. We don't use it as a source of evidence. Like if it blinks, we don't say, "Oh, that's a ghost." Okay. It just I give an indication that something might be happening. And if we start asking questions and it starts hitting in response to our questions. Then we know that it, it, something might be there. You know, that's why so we just use it as some type of an indicator, indicator. But we really don't use it as a source of anything because, like I said, we've tested it. And uh, I, can, I can use a handheld flashlight and make it blink a couple of times. Uh, just I don't believe in that. I, I don't like that. That's, that's uh, my own personal Why don't you here. like that, Sean? <laughs> because I, cause the way he set up that flashlight, it's set to where... You know, you can blow on it and the light will go off and on. Okay. Now, I am definitely, uh, I'm not a fan of that flashlight. Okay. I'm, I'm a little confused. Okay. With the flashlight. So you turn the flashlight on, or is this a special flashlight? It's a regular flashlight. And you, what do you do? Just turn it on and you ask it a question? No, no, no. You unscrew it. You unscrew it where you put the batteries in. Okay. You unscrew it until it's like a hair touch like and you set it down and they're supposed to answer can you explain that dave uh we've never really experimented with it all that much all i know is that you take the lens and you you turn it to it's just barely making contact and you ask a question and it kind of like makes like come on or off in rea in reaction to the question uh, what I understand is that the metal contact actually expands and contracts based on temperature, which as electrons flow through that metal, it can cause the metal to expand and cause the light to come on. And then when it cools down, you know, it, it loses contact. Basically, that's how it works according to physics. I mean, I've never really tested it to, to, to really know one way or the other. Um, so I really can't give you an answer. I just know how you do it, but not the reasoning behind it. Jason, did you ever try to do that? 
Yes, actually, I did. Um, I used a small mag light. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, of course, I was very skeptical of this one. I'm like, okay, the flashlight, you know, like we're talking about, you know, because you got that metal filaments and stuff. And uh, it has to be a flashlight with an incandescent bulb. It can't be an LED. It will not work. Okay, so it's a regular bulb. Yes. So we tried it. We tried it a few times, and, you know, it didn't really seem to match up with anything. Now, when we went to Prospect Place, Ohio, that there was a different story because we decided to try to flashlight in a room where there's, you know, a spirit mm-hmm. from the Underground Railroad era. And uh, as we asked questions pertaining to this gentleman, it would hit on the spot. So it's like, OK, you know, so let's keep going. Let's keep talking to him, see what happens. As soon as we start talking about something else, there was nothing. Nothing at all. Like, it wouldn't come on or anything. As soon as we talked to this one particular gentleman, I can't remember his name, He would the light would light up. So I feel like it could go either way, but I did have one good experience that I would say was accurate mm-hmm. because of the way it answered the questions just, like, right on the spot. So that's mm-hmm. my opinion on that. I'll have to give it a try. It's sort of like that, that magic eight ball where you shake it up and down yeah. <laughs> and ask it a question. <laughs> Oh, wow. So, so to David, okay, so I know my guys here that they've, they've felt a lot of demonic presence um, that they truly believe were demonic. What about you? Is there any um, haunted houses in New Orleans that you feel that's really a bad place to go? Uh, yeah, I believe some places have true paranormal activity, but I have never, ever experienced anything demonic. Oh, good. Never once. Okay. That's okay. good. It's, you know, um, you know, We've investigated some places in the French Quarter, like I said, where there was definitely some type of paranormal activity, uh, definitely the McRaven House. But as far as it being uh, demonic or even experiencing experiencing something that mm-hmm. was trying to hurt somebody, no, we 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 haven't experienced. I'm not saying other groups haven't experienced it, but our group, no, we've we've never experienced anything. Oh, wow. Hmm. wow. Yeah. We got scratch. We got scratch. I and personally, me, I have gotten scratch, kick, punch, and bit. And um, I'm gonna have to get your uh, Facebook page after this and send you some pictures of our uh, stuff. I have a question for you. Do you believe in paranormal unity? Uh, no. Okay. And what is that? Let me kind of clarify that. The reason why is because um, there's a lot of animosity among the groups in New Orleans because it's really, really hard to get investigations. And um, we had to stop posting future investigations on our Facebook page because other groups were monitoring our Facebook page and were stealing investigations away from us. Mm-hmm. So because of that, we kind of had to go underground and we don't release anything until after we investigate a place. So um, it's that's why I don't believe in paranormal unity, because you got groups out there trying to steal stuff from you. Uh, I know for a fact um, there was another group uh, that, where their goal was to destroy us and take our name. Been there, so, done that. So that's why uh, I don't I don't believe in paranormal uni- unity, because I don't see any, other, any groups in our area practicing paranormal unity. Okay, now if another group came in and asked you for help or some suggestions, would you give it to them? Oh, cool. oh, sure, naturally. You know that that's you know that's the ethical that's the ethical thing to do. But you know when when you're working really really hard to get an investigation, and then here's the screw you know pops up a week before you do and goes there and investigates it, you know, or you got a group out there trashing you and saying all kind of bad stuff about you on the, on the internet and. Um, you know, it's that's that's why we just don't we we prefer not to associate with other groups. I understand completely. Is no, that, I would help some. Is that what I unity means? <laughs> this no, paranormal no. unity is that what that means? You work with I mean, another group? Kinda, yeah. Um, but see, when I started in two thousand six, it was to see who got the best photo. Okay, and people would mock. PPS. Oh, I was I was on the most wanted hated list here in Pittsburgh oh for a very long time. And it bothered me because, you know, at that time, ghost hunters came on. And at that time, 
all the paranormal groups out there wanted i mean they lived and died by taps and you had to be a, a taps family member the group and you can be put on their website and i never wanted to be a taps family member my name's sean kelly i run pps and the hell with taps <laughs> you know what i mean the hell with that and then and then i got a bad name for that and um and it, it's just but it's just bad but i am willing to help any group out there but you know hey jason tell her about that one investigation we went to the other a couple months ago Which with the other was? two groups the one out there by the church oh yes <laughs> we went to a uh, historic society uh, like an old church, you know, it's it's converted into a historical landmark. And um, so we get out there, and there was like, I don't know if it was one or two other groups. There's there's a, you know, kind of two. people everywhere. Was it two? And uh, it was like you could hear a pin drop when we walked in. You know, we're just walking in friendly. You know, hey, how's everybody doing? And just the reactions, you know, from the other groups that it was like they didn't want us to be there or weren't happy. Like just just negative vibes off them and i think the one one guy even said he's like yeah we know who sean kelly's group is and you know it's like what's that supposed to mean you know like we're just out here doing the same thing that everybody else is doing exactly they would not talk to us jenny Mm. would not talk to Mm, us that's too bad you got it's too bad people have to be like that but uh, moving on a little bit um david um tell us about the buried woods that that um the Travels Channel's paranormal show that you did with Don Wildman. What were you doing? What, what is Buried Worlds? That was Buried Worlds. Uh, Don Wildman, who also, also hosts uh, Mysteries at the Museum, he had a, he has a new show coming out, or it did come out on the Travel Channel, and he's traveling the world, you know, looking at different paranormal things. And he was in New Orleans shooting, and uh, it was about uh, orbs and pirates and Jean Lafitte and cryptids and stuff. And they contacted us and uh, asked us to investigate a cemetery with Don, which which we did. We investigated a, a haunted cemetery, a rumored haunted, haunted cemetery. And then uh, my younger brother, who's on the team, um, he actually his specialty is more of the folklore of Louisiana. And he's using a lot of uh, uh, television shows and um, local news about, like, uh, to call the Rougarou and stuff like that, which is a Louisiana legend. So they had him go out and look for something called the Grunch, which is oh. a local New Orleans legend. It's like half man, half goat that's supposed to be out in the swamps. So uh, they went out there looking for the Grunch, and but they, they never did find anything. Never found anything? No, I didn't find it. <laughs> the Grunch. Sort of the like grunge. the Grinch, but the Grunch. <laughs> the Grunch, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's kind of a legend from back in a... The '60s, you know, the watch it, the grunt you'll get, you get you if you don't behave and stuff like that. It's kind of like uh, the boogie man. Okay. Like the ruga. What do you call it? The rugular. What? And we have rugaroo. Rugaroo. is like a Cajun werewolf who lives in the swamps. Oh, okay. And He's he, like uh, a. Yeah, if you look, if you look it up on the internet, you find out some things about it. Did you see any rigaloos? No, we did not see any <laughs> In fact, in, in fact, uh, the uh, Halloween weekend, I'm. Uh, well, it's right around Halloween weekend before Halloween. There's a Rougarou Fest in Homer, Louisiana. So I've always wanted to go, but it's like I'm always out of town that, that one weekend. So yeah. hopefully one weekend I'll catch it. <laughs> Any of you guys' thoughts on that? Um, I, I I believe, well, since we started the show, I believe in cryptids, and it's very possible there is a Rougarou down there. My okay. ex-girlfriend texted me last night and said that she thought she saw the thunderbird oh i believe in the thunderbird yeah 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 so we had to talk about that what about you jason (laughs) uh i believe anything is possible you know it it could be or it might not be you know it's it all depends you know somebody (laughs) will catch some good evidence of it someday yeah you guys guys are talking about you know cryptids we have the uh, honey island swamp monster what's that about (laughs) what's the honey island swamps um and it's actually about about 45 minutes from my house. Oh. And it kind of became really big back in the late 60s, early 70s, when a gentleman by the name of Harlan Ford uh, claimed to have captured footprints, um, and him and a friend had actually witnessed it. Um, And I spoke to two people who goes hunting back there, and they swear that there is something back there. 
they, they've heard screams that they can't identify. Um, something was following somebody. He said it was moving on two feet. Um, and it was, you know, so I'd like to go back there one day, but I'm afraid I might get lost back there in the swamps. Oh, yeah, that would I'd, be too good. <laughs> yeah. I'd bring a guide with me. Or a beacon. Yeah, sure. I wouldn't want to be caught in the swamp. <laughs> no. Yeah. Too many alligators. No, yeah. I don't want, like in the alligators in the swamp. I watched too many True Blood um uh, that was filmed in Louisiana, wasn't that? True Blood? Vampires? No. Yeah, I think so. David? Oh, I I really have no, no idea. I don't, watch, I don't really watch all that much television. Uh, it's been, it, was a, it was a while ago. Um, so, okay. So, your, one of your favorite, well, your favorite investigations was Fort Morgan on Mobile Bay. No, what, tell um, me about that one. Uh, it was Mobile Bay, Fort Morgan. Um, it's right at the mouth of Mobile Bay. Um, it was um, it was actually used to, it was Fort Bower a long, long time ago. It was Fort Bower. Andrew Jackson actually met there. He met the British there when he went advancing to um, New Orleans for the War of 1812. And then he met him again at um, in Shelmet at the, at the Battle of New Orleans. But anyway, it was... It was used during the Civil War. It's where the uh, Farragut said, damn the torpedoes, full, full speed ahead. So we had the opportunity to investigate it from 5 o'clock in the evening when it closed down to, I think it was 6 or 7 o'clock the next morning. They kind of locked us in the fort. And um, it was, you know, no, hardly any electricity. We only, we only found one electrical outlet that we managed to use to power all of our equipment at the uh, at our command center. And we investigated that fort the whole night. And I came face-to-face -face with an apparition. Oh. Um, I got video of something moving one of our cameras, moving it back and forth when nobody was around it. We were in, our, uh, we were in the command center, had just got finished setting up the equipment. We were eating dinner. And one of the investigators looked at the monitor and said, who's playing with the who's playing with the camera? And we could see it moving back and forth. And we ran outside and looked at the camera, and nobody was around it. Everybody was accounted for. Um, so it was, it was stuff like that, that that happened throughout the night. Um, we got plenty of good EVPs, and we like to return to it and investigate it again. Yeah. What was the operation of? The operation? You know, I really don't know. It was the same camera that moved. Uh, my brother and I were setting it up on a second-story balcony. And I told him, I said, look, stay here. I'm going to run downstairs. I'm going to get the two-way radio so I can tell you where to aim, where to aim the camera. And it was right at sunset, and um, I ran down a flight of stairs, and I turned the corner to go into the command center. And standing in the middle of the room, floating about a foot off the ground, was this wispy, apparition i could see a human form and we kind of looked at each other for about a second or two and i watched it whisk away it went through a doorway it turned and went down a hallway hmm. now that's um, cool you know so um you know i, I first i thought it might have been a play of lights you know had i had i saw it and then it disappeared i would have said yeah this was kind of a play of lights but to actually watch it whisk away through a doorway and then turn the corner and go down a hall, I believe I actually saw something. And uh, about two weeks prior to that, we had gone to the fort to scout it out because we didn't want to walk in there. It was so large. We didn't want to walk in there and kind of try to figure out how it was laid out. So we wanted to walk in there prepared. And just about where I had seen that apparition, uh, we walked into the room and my brother was ahead of me. And I saw this greenish-blue tiny ball of light form over my brother's shoulder. And it shot past him and past me and out the door. So I think I actually witnessed an orb. Oh, and the cool. best way I can describe it is by Tinkerbell nice. from, from, Pinoc uh, from, what is it, from Pinocchio or whatever. Tinkerbell, no, that's the other dude flying, Peter Pan. Peter Pan, that's it, Peter Pan. <laughs> but it was weird because it was like this little ball of light and it had like a tail on it. It looked like a comet, but it was really, really small. And I watched it fly past me and out the door. Wow, and, you saw it with your naked eye. Oh, yes, yes. And I wish I would have had a camera or something on me, you know, like like the police shoes, because I, pro I probably would have actually caught it. Um, but, here, you know, two weeks later, here we are, and then I run, run into this apparition um, in, in, the, in the, just about the same room. Now, what else is weird is that throughout the investigation, I 
swore I kept hearing a dog bark around the fort. And I kept asking some of the investigators, do you guys hear a dog? And they're like, no. So I thought maybe it was a, uh, a dog that, that lived around the fort, or maybe it was one of the neighbor's dogs that might have been you know, around the fort or whatever. So we were doing a EVP session where the commander of the fort was killed. Uh, we were doing a demonstration with a cannon, and he accidentally double-loaded it. And when it, ex- when, it, when it went off, the cannon exploded, and it killed the cannon crew and the commander of the fort. So uh, oh, interesting. we were doing an EVP wow. session, and one of the investigators asked, do you have kids? And clear as day, you can hear this, this deep male voice say, dog. Ooh. And I was hearing the dog around Ooh. the fort. So was I hearing a ghost dog? I don't know. Could have been his dog. I I don't know. So, you know, so that was, that was kind of interesting. Sounds it. What about the Alabama and McRaven house in Vicksburg? Oh, the McRaven, the McRaven house is really interesting. Um, I'm, a, I'm a member of a Facebook group called uh, Ghost Stories of Louisiana. And people go in there and tell ghost stories. And uh, I, I had wanted to put an investigation together so people in, well, so people in that part of the state could experience what a, a, a ghost hunt was actually like. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was able to secure the uh, McRaven house, which is in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And uh, it was kind of done really, really quick. I had like two or three weeks to put it together. And we showed up, we investigated with some people from the group. And there's truly paranormal activity going on in that house. Um, there was walking, going down, down the hallways. We'd be in a room asking questions, doing EVP sessions, and we could hear footsteps walking up and down the hallway. Oh. And I would immediately run to the door and look, nothing, nobody there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, they were getting some strong K2 hits um, behind the house because Vicksburg during the Civil War was a siege point, and he had a lot of trenches and stuff, Doug. And they, and they actually had some of the original trenches still on the property. And some of our investigators were picking up really strong K2 hits around those trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, and something else, oh, something else that happened was um, one of the main bedrooms, I just happened to be in a, in a room where we had the camera system set up. And it, it, was, uh, it was next to the, the main room. And um, I could see on the monitor something walking back and forth, pacing in front of the mirror. So we glanced into the room everybody was sitting down. It's like, that's kind of odd. I look back at the monitor, I can see the mirror in a room. Something's walked back and forth in front of the mirror. So I'm like, well, thank God we got the DVR system going. We can, we, you know, we can capture it, see what's in that mirror. Well, the hard drive or something failed, and we lost all of that. Oh, oh no. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jumped in the DVR system, and we got you know, high-definition cameras that we can set up in the room. They work independently. They were infrared. The picture is much more clearer. They have a longer range. So hopefully that that won't happen again. But definitely we would like to return to the McRaven house to find out, you know, what is really going on there. Yeah. It was actually back to the Civil War. It was built. It was built. Uh, it was originally a little one-room house, and uh, the guy who lived there, he was like a bandit. He would rob people in the area, and then would retreat back to the house. And then when he died, some people bought the house, and he kind of added on to it. And the house has just has been uh, expanded onto over the years, where now it's like this, like this kind of somewhat plantation style house. Mm. Uh-huh. And it's hey, just uh, houses in in, uh, in Mississippi. Dave, what is the most haunted place in New Orleans? Can you describe it? Oh, geez, um, oh, that's uh, that's that's really hard to, to say. Um, you know, we investigated the Bourbon Orleans Hotel, and um, that's we have several stories there. Um, this is when he asked us to come in and investigate it uh, over a two night period and invite the public uh, to participate. And uh, the sixth floor is where they have is rumored to have the the, the, ch- the ghost of the children. Mm. And uh, my sister in law was there, they gave us two rooms on the sixth floor to stay in, and my sister-in-law was walking out the room with um, her two small kids. They were about six and four in age. And she saw two kids run across the hallway, and she says, oh, great, they got kids in a hotel that my kids can play with while we're investigating. 
Well, she walks to the end of the hall and it was a solid wall. So what she saw ran through the wall. Mm. And she believes she may have seen the two ghost kids that rumored to haunt uh, the hotel. Uh, about two years ago, there was a, a, a TV show in town who knew he had experiences at the hotel. And they were filming there. And he asked me to come in and show him where we had paranormal experiences. And we're in the elevator with the host. And a cameraman, and I'm telling the story of the children on the sixth floor and what happened to my sister-in-law. And the elevator door opens, and right when I step out and I clear the threshold of the door, I see like this little kid standing in the alcove of the elevator right by the hallway. And he just likes, he like just takes off really, really fast. And my reaction is to chase it to find out what's going on. And I'm expecting to see, like, a family walking down a hallway. Yeah. And uh, there's nobody there. So I'm thinking, well, maybe it's kids playing tricks on us. And you can see me on camera. I'm looking to my left. I'm looking to my right, looking to find, you know, see if I can find kids hiding. I don't see any kids. And then, like I said, it all happened so fast. I'm trying to piece together what happened. And I realized that... I actually saw a little kid standing by the elevator, and when the door opened, he kind of like whisked away real, really fast. And the cameraman, he, he was behind me, he didn't come out the elevator fast enough to catch it. So hmm. probably had he been off the elevator first, he might have he might have caught it. Hey, Dave, I have uh, a question for you. Yeah. Uh, what's your thoughts on portals? I have no opinion on portals. I don't know that much about them. I wish I could answer that question, but I, I don't know that much about portals, you know, to give my opinion one way or the other. What I can tell you, if, if this may kind of help answer your question, when we were investigating the Bourbon Orleans, um, I, in one of the corners, which was next door, used to be an opera house, which burned down. Um, there's a really strange feeling in that corner. If you walk into the corner, it feels like you walk into a warm humid mass and it really uh if it, it it messes with your emotions you start feeling really sadness and dread hmm. and i really didn't believe in that, that kind of stuff until i experienced it wow. and there's something going on in the corner of that of that uh that haunted ballroom and if that has anything to do with a portal yeah, i, I can answer that question that that's exactly a portal. Hey, Jen, it's getting like really close. Okay, tonight. sure, no problem. Well, David, thanks for joining us tonight. It was Thank delightful you, and interesting. Um, Thank you, David, very much. Thank you, guys. I hope I didn't come on too insulted or too strong in the beginning. I'm just kind of stating my. Uh, no, 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 cool. no, 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 no. You're at a all. paranormal investigator. Yeah. You're normal. Yeah, that's that. You know, that's one thing is that you know we always try to find answers. We don't try to find ghosts. We try to find answers, no matter what those answers are, whether it's environmental, psychological, you know, people's imagination. We, we want to find answers, no matter what it is. Yeah. Yes, and we'll tell right. our Thank listeners again, expect, uh, where they can get in touch with you if they want to get a paranormal investigation. Uh, you can go to our, our website. It's www.neworleansghosthunters.com and our Facebook page, New Orleans Ghost Hunters. It, we're, we're real easy to find. Awesome. T uh, Sean, tell our audience where someone can get in touch with you for a paranormal investigation. Yes, they can go to our Facebook page, um, Pittsburgh Paranormal Society. Uh, I do believe we have an Instagram account yes, now, awesome. Pittsburgh Paranormal Society. Yep. Um, just leave us a message, and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Great. And Jason, thanks for being our guest yeah, host. Jason. Yes, thanks for having me. You're welcome. And I want to welcome everybody to continue the conversation on Pittsburgh Paranormal Chasing Prophecy Facebook page. Please check out my author page, J.E. Nicasio. I have a Halloween, The Hunting Tales of Twyla. They're short stories. You can check that out on Amazon.com. And next week we have award-winning author, TV personality, and conspiracy theorist Mike Barra and the host of The Real Deal Report. He's next week. And remember to like us on Facebook and Instagram and check out 
and subscribe to Chasing Prophecy Radio on our YouTube channel. And we look forward to your ghostly stories. Come on, guys, get them in there. And if you want to be a sponsor, we're looking for sponsors to keep us up and running. So, you know, yes. we're, we're open to sponsorship. And stay safe and good night. And everybody, thanks for tuning in to Chasing Prophecy again. Have a great weekend coming up. You all good too. night, everybody. Good night. Bye. Get ready for an hour filled with conspiracies, UFOs, ghosts, the paranormal, legends, and myths from around the world. Chasing Prophecy Radio, where the paranormal is supernatural. With your hosts, Sean Kelly, Jenny Nicasio. Welcome to the Chasing Prophecy Radio, and here are your hosts, Sean and Jenny.